0: can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out.
1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Welcome to New Books and Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Joel Cherney. My guest today is Bruce Davis, author of the book, The Academy and the Award, The Coming of Age of Oscar and And the academy of motion picture arts and sciences published in 2022 by brandeis university press as someone who worked for the academy for 30 years 20 as executive director bruce davis is in a unique position to write about the organization using files and primary sources held at the Academy Library, he tells the story of how the Academy began and its first years prior to the changes brought to the industry by television. Welcome Bruce Davis. Hi Bruce.
1: Good morning. Good morning for me. <laughs> That's true.
0: I mean, we're opposite coast, so to speak. Uh, so. Um, I'm talking with Bruce Davis, author of the book The Academy and the Award, The Coming of Age of Oscar and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The title I think is pretty clear about it, it's The Academy and the Award. This is more of a story of, as much a story of the overall academy as it is of the award itself. And we'll talk about some of the ins and outs and some of the research and how you were able to do some of this as we go along. So. Be, and let's talk about your background. How did you get into Hollywood, so to speak, and then get into that job?
1: Well, it was it was it was an enormous fluke, to tell you the truth. I had been teaching um, at Juniata College in Pennsylvania, uh, I headed up the drama department there, and had been writing some scripts and working film into some of my courses, and um, I got to a point where I was kind of Lobbing scripts out to the West Coast, and um, uh, somebody finally said, "Look, this is interesting, but if you're serious about this, you need to move out here. You really, you really can't do it from a distance." So I thought, "Okay, um, I, I've done teaching, and I liked it, but I'll toss in my tenure here and um, see see what happens." And I, I, I just. But I, I, I knew almost no one in Los Angeles, um, and uh, so the scripts were not uh, getting read very regularly. And finally, I met a guy at a party who said, look, my wife works for the Academy, and they're looking for someone to head up a new program of seminars uh, in, the, uh, in the various specialties that Academy members have. You should go talk to them. So I did. And... Um, <laughs> against all expectations, they said, yeah, you should come and do this. So I was there for about 10 years before they put me in charge of the of the staff and you um, learned lots of things. They, they're an impressive group of people, as you might expect, uh, to work with. They were much more knowledgeable about the history of movies uh, than I was at the time I started doing this. But um, I, uh, I gradually um, began to think, well, OK, I know pretty much about this. Maybe when I retire, uh, there's a book to be written. And um, so uh, <laughs> that's, that was a while ago now. And I really, I really was overconfident. I thought I probably know more about the history of the Academy than, than anybody, certainly the members that I talked to. Uh, Admitted, they they were completely vague about how it started, why it started, uh, who who belonged, and how how the awards uh, came to be. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll just write a book that tells everybody that. And um, as you sort of suggested, I, I I thought I was pretty knowledgeable, but when I started doing the research. Um, the library the herrick library which uh is the academy's library and one of the great specialized libraries in the world uh they they just had enormous amounts of documents correspondence minutes of various committee meetings and everything they they buried me for a couple of years in information about the early history of the academy and i realized that i had. I had set out to do the early history, so I, 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 I was an insider, yes. But I, the the period I was writing about um, was before my time, and I was finding out uh, any number of very surprising things about the organization that I I had never known.
0: Yeah, because that's that's in your introduction, and this is the part that I always like reading about with writers, especially historical. Uh, work like yours is how you get into the sources and because with any decent uh, book nonfiction in particular uh, research is so much of the process you have to know your subject and sometimes what you think might be true as as we'll talk about turns out not always to be the case and it does it takes getting into the information before you can actually um figure it out and it takes a long time to do the research before you do the writing so in fact most researchers will say you got to reach a point where you finally have to say okay I've done enough research I have to start writing now so uh, and based <laughs> right. on it and we'll talk about the sources well based on the material you had it it's clear that it could have taken it took a long time just to go through the material and try to see what's in there
1: exactly right exactly right and then you 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 have to you have to start looking for a storyline you can't just say report everything that you're finding everything is not equally important or equally interesting um and that was uh something that took a couple of years what are what are the main lines of development here um i'm writing this not for scholars of the academy uh so uh you know you you have to leave some things out you have to make some assumptions about what people already know it's it's an interesting process
0: and of course uh, other historians and other history historians of film and and popular culture um Find this kind of information very useful because it tells stories, and there's a large amount of writing now being done about this period of time in Hollywood and in and, 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 and in films, both biographies and others. So, being able to know that um, we can fill in some picture, some more pieces of the story uh, with you, with the research that you did. You retired in 2011. Uh, when did you decide? Well, I. It, I really want to tell, try to tell this story.
1: I, I think that was something that I was beginning to focus on uh, in, in my last year uh, as executive director. I thought, well, what do I do? Do I quit cold turkey? Uh, what do I do um, afterwards? And um, so, yeah, I, I had been aware that there was a kind of a deficiency. Of of uh, other books, uh, other articles on the very earliest, um, very earliest uh, time at the academy, and I thought, well, let me go back in there and, and see what's there. The story had always been um, that um, Louis V. Mayer willed the academy into building into being in 1927. Uh, as a kind of defense against the labor movement that was rolling across the United States he didn't he didn't want uh, the people who made the movies to be um, to be forming guilds and whatnot so he thought here we'll bring everybody together uh, that has a role in the filmmaking process and we'll all be good friends and we'll talk out our problems and it'll be it'll be very simple well of course it wasn't quite that simple and when you start organizing, um, Uh, people that include actors and writers and directors and all the other sorts of major contributors to films, uh, they may not have the same uh, ideas about what a uh, a movie organization ought to be focusing on, as Mr. Mayer did. So it took a long time feeling each other out to decide what the Academy would be.
0: Much of your research uh, is in was in the academy's own files and as you pointed out most of this information was never looked at by anyone uh you ended up being one of the first who was able to use it for the research that you did and even in the introduction you sort of indicated that the board they they okayed you using it but there was a slight concern or or now, concern might be too strong of a word. Wary, I think, is the word you use. They were wary. Any particular reason you felt that that uh, that they were concerned about you doing this?
1: Uh, not about me. It wasn't that they thought I might be a person who would retire and immediately do a hatchet job on the organization. Um, but like me, they didn't know what might be in there, and they wouldn't. They. They thought, mm, is this a good idea? Is there stuff we don't really want to get out? Uh, and I don't mean that they thought there was some huge series of scandals or anything, but they just thought w- w- maybe there's a reason we've never made this stuff available. Uh, and they they talked it over, and they thought it would be a good idea. Finally, and uh, they were they were terrific about it. They gave me a gave me an office across town um, in our in our building that holds the. Uh, the film archive and um gave me a place to to do a lot of my work for a couple of years after I retired so that was very helpful
0: when we talk about files and and you do detail the kind of things we're talking about um what kind of I mean I would think that anybody who wanted to do the research on any kind of organization and its history uh, including companies would probably have a specific idea of what that might have included. We have a tendency, you know, with Hollywood or with you know with the movies, to give it a bigger than life story. And yet much of the material you used according to you, I don't want to use the word mundane, although that may be part of it too just the basics. What kind of material did you actually find being available to
1: you? well there were there were uh kind of dramatic surprises in some cases you'd open a box and be flipping through and i realized these these were the ballots the 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 marked ballots from the first year of the academy awards this was before price waterhouse was involved and after they'd been counted somebody just put them in a box and stored them away and there they were they were they were signed in those days so you knew whose ballot you were looking at and i thought wow an an early version of the problem how how much do i betray here should i tell people how so-and-so voted in 1928 um and um i just thought it was pretty safe to uh let those things out although i didn't spend a lot of time on who voted for what um so yeah you you had uh you have core correspondence back and forth with people you had had no idea had ever had a connection with the academy the the key thing i think uh that 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 no one had ever seen before were the minutes of the board of governors uh which exist actually even prior to the to the formation of the organization they began having meetings where they were keeping minutes even though they didn't know what this organization they were thinking about forming would be so those were those were um, just um, completely valuable in that no one had seen those. The, in the other stuff, the box stuff from through the years, uh, a scholar working in a particular area would have, of course, been, give, been given access to uh, something when the library staff knew that there was material uh, relating to his or her subject in the box. So they, they wouldn't deliberately hold something up from somebody who who could have made good use of it but on the whole um the stuff had not been available and um you know some of it was trivial and not terribly interesting and some other things you get a nice little surprise
0: yeah because um herrick library is well known and many people that i've talked to about their books as i mean frankly if you're going to do any writing about hollywood films or filmmakers actors and so on you're going to need to use files and information from herrick and other places in 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 the in Los Angeles and uh, it's just great to hear how much of this kind of material is still out there that yeah. the organization did a good job of trying to make sure that they've documented and kept track of the information, because if if you've got as much useful information about the early period, that that just shows that they knew that this was material that needed to be saved. So the academy itself uh, begins in 1927, but as you just said, um, it was actually being discussed even before then. Um, right. And let's talk a little bit about that period and why as you pointed out, that Louis B. Mayer decided that this was something that was worth trying to do. And and, and it wasn't necessarily just for the uh, artistic aspect of the film industry. As as in most situations, there were extra reasons, alter, not not even ulterior. He was pretty clear about why he was doing it. So yep. uh, what was the going on as far as... Uh, at this period in twenty seven, we're talking about late silent and just the beginning of the sound period. In in and of course, by now all the studios are in pretty much in place. What was he looking at, and that was particularly he mentioned this briefly a little while ago. But what was the aspect about uh, labor unions and such that caused him to be so concerned?
1: Well, um, I, I don't think anybody who ran. Um, all or a portion of a profitable industry uh looked on the unionization of their employees as a as a good thing uh occasionally there were exceptions to that but um and i, I don't think i don't think louis b was progressive in that sense um he 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 was very concerned about about what he considered uh the industry sort of hurting itself because the various sections, the um, the directors, the art directors, the there weren't sound guys yet, so we're not talking about sound guys in the very first few years, but that that they they all had their problems, and he thought if they would get together and understand each other's problems, why they why they couldn't shut down. Uh, a production on something at this particular hour every day because sometimes you had to run on while all the technical stuff was set up, uh, you know, the kind of things that would be there. So he, he really he really had a kind of a uh, maybe a little bit of a of an over rosy idea of all that could be um, all that could be settled by having people uh, talk together. And in fact, the academy did that kind of thing. For the first few years they they set up a uh a very um i i think a, a reasonable system of dealing with employee complaints and um and settling them and they didn't always settle them as i had expected going in in favor of the studios very often the uh the actor who had a complaint about um, not being paid they did i tell stories about them um, um I can't see his name, uh, Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff uh, shot a picture in Mexico and had to, had trouble with paperwork because he had a British passport and he, he couldn't get back across the border. And um, he had to stay there several days and the studio wouldn't reimburse him for that time. Uh, and, and when they got into the room and took Mr. Karloff's complaint, <laughs> uh he he was he, he won and I noticed that in most cases the accommodations that were worked out were in favor of the person who had complained so the studios were willing to uh, to lose in these kind of adjudications and um so that was stuff stuff that went on but um now we've forgotten where we started this question.
0: well we we're talking about the kind of thing that um because your first chapter unions censors and scandals. So obviously, as, as you pointed out, Mayor and, and others decided that this was a good time to try to put some organization together. What its purpose was, ultimately, uh, no one would know for sure. But I mean, obviously, it was to try to to put things together in a way that controls not always the best way of putting it, but at least structure. Because um, by now we know. You remember the, the the Hollywood, you know the the studios have only been in existence for ten to fifteen years at this point. So right. this is still a very new industry, and until very recently, people probably didn't think much of it at all. In fact, by now, now by the late twenties, it has been shown what's what's likely to happen because this is some of the things that started to happen where more and more of what was going on in in movies and their making became public and became known by more and and of interest to others so uh, putting together and one of the things that i see in the in the book is that while it may have started with someone like a studio head over time other people would gain control and actors for example would become very important to the overall process and so um, giving them and other people in the creative branches some ability to be involved. Um, censors. I mean, censorship in early Hollywood is one of those subjects that are, even today, I think people don't completely understand what was going on and, and, and or what wasn't going on. And, and you talk about it and its relationship. But right there at the beginning, uh, where were they getting... Uh, pushback to, to to be more careful with what they were producing
1: well you <laughs> you began to have several kinds of uh of problems and of course the newspapers of of the time were uh uh very energetic and they loved scandals and they loved uh they loved uh, to uh sensationalize anything they could get and many of the problems that they focused on were pretty sensational so there were a, there were a series of late 20s uh scandals uh including a murder and a rape and uh this and that and um uh, the academy was not uh the the first body to emerge out of that concern within the industry um and uh so you had the the origins of uh, today's mpa Used to be the MPAA, and earlier had even more letters in its uh, in its name. Uh, but it was uh, it was uh, originally referred to as the Hayes Office, and um, Mr. Hayes was uh, had been the former Postmaster General of the United States, and he was a very dour uh, character, and uh, his job was to eliminate all raciness from the motion picture and um he he said about that with a strong will and there was enough power that the studios uh took it seriously not as seriously immediately in the 20s but by the mid 30s uh the hayes office was was in control of the content of motion pictures and was very very careful that uh nothing irreligious nothing um demeaning to women or clergymen or uh, it, it had, had a long list of things you could not do in a motion picture and the studios pretty much had to toe the line there
0: so when this when the academy is finally formed and in the and its overall uh structure has a board of governors what kind of uh Parts of the the industry were included in that board. Was it mostly at the beginning, mostly uh, producers or studio heads, or were actors involved or other creatives involved pretty early on?
1: From the beginning, um, coming out of the series of meetings they had before really announcing the formation of the Academy to the industry, they they knew that they had to have the artists uh, involved. Uh, they weren't maybe absolutely sure what that what that might um, uh, lead to but um, yeah no they were the 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 heads of the studios were very much involved but they were careful to have uh, distinguished uh, actors and directors and pretty much the kinds of people who are in it even now but uh, a lot of them at first were kind of tossed into one, uh, category, uh, called technicians that, uh, involve art directors and musicians, oddly enough, or composers, uh, people that you wouldn't think of as a technician necessarily. And as the numbers of those people in the industry, uh, grew uh, over time, uh, they began to have their own separate branches. So there was a branch for editors and a branch for, uh, they called them art directors and rather than production designers. and. So on and so on so it was a uh, it was very much an evolution over the early decades
0: how how did they decide who was actually going to be in the academy we know uh, this is still something that i think we go through we see we hear about this in in articles over time especially when something unusual happens related to the academy awards or the is that not everyone that works in Hollywood or in the industry is a member of the Academy. So back then, how did they decide who was going to be allowed to be a member and what their actual purpose was as far as what they're supposed to be doing? You know, what did they write down and say, this is what we want to do?
1: Not enough. I'm afraid. I, I'd i love to have a clearer answer to that. I, 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 I never found anything on a, meeting or series of meetings where they said we want this and we want this um it seemed to have evolved um and that's an that's an interesting question that you're asking Uh, the the fact that you are an actor for example does not mean you qualify for academy membership Uh, the fact that you have worked as a film editor will not necessarily um get you accepted uh, until you've reached a certain level of eminence. The whole idea from the beginning was it's a kind of honor society for the industry, and they sort of evolved by a kind of acclamation uh, what the what the disciplines would be. And um, so you, you get, OK, we're going to have actors. Um, we're going to have um, directors. How about assistant directors? How about people who work for uh, for directors? Are we gonna have um, uh, are we gonna have lighting people in there? What who who do we who qualifies? And what they kind of evolved was a system where um, the the 10, 12 categories of members of potential membership exist. Uh, but you kind of want not only the most distinguished careers filling the slots uh but you they have to be at at kind of at the pinnacle i call it in the book a kind of pyramid uh of influence um so in cinematography for example the the um the director of photography is the only person who's really qualified for academy membership in most cases not all of the very important crew people uh who report to him or her Um, you, you have to be kind of at the decision-making pinnacle of whatever your, your discipline is. Um, and so that, that kind of evolves and it, it, uh, it, you see changes here and there in one branch as, as, as the nature of the branch changes, uh, as all of the, uh, the technical fields, uh, proliferated uh after the 60s um so it's 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 something that that is fluid through the history but um the the general acceptance at the top level was always that um this is this is an honor society this is a pantheon of the greatest artists we have in in the various sub film sub fields of filmmaking so
0: obviously 27 is when the uh, organization begins how quickly or must have been very quickly given when it happened how quickly did they decide they wanted to put together an award concept or an award process
1: well they were talking about it as early as 27 but then they kind of dropped the subject nobody quite saw how to do it and uh, it was as though they were reluctant to take it on and then they they formed a uh, they formed a committee, uh, and then there was a committee kind of working on okay, how would we do this? What what would the awards be for? Uh, who, who would get them? Um, and you'd seen other organizations where it works quite differently, where you have maybe. 20 people coming up, having won a particular category. Everybody who worked in that, they'll come up and they'll get the reward. The Academy was tight-fisted from the beginning. They decided, no, we want the key person who made the key aesthetic decisions. And um, so that's that's kind of how it worked from the very beginning. And um, the the each each of the disciplines would work out their own criteria. For awards and um you know, we can see that evolving in the book
0: yeah because even now uh, i know things have changed over time there were constant changes but it's still the same thing where each particular branch is in is does their own nominating as opposed to um everyone being involved in the nomination process so i would assume that started at least the concept maybe not exactly the way it is now but the concept was to do that so that the idea being that the people who know the most about the particular branch are those that are in it
1: they they had to learn that the first two years they did it the other way around everybody uh could suggest nominees in every category and then there was a central committee that met and kind of looked at all, at the results of all those suggestions. And that's all they were at first, was suggestions rather than actual ballots. And uh, out of the central committee, uh, finally you get the uh, nominees in the various categories uh, and then the membership. But no, then they themselves kind of picked the winner. So they had to kind of reverse that and, and use what you just laid out. We have these these pools of expertise in the various disciplines why aren't we using them the most knowledgeable people about um editing or art direction or whatever and let them pick the uh, let them pick the nominees and then the whole organization will decide which of those nominees is the award one and they've stuck with that
0: right (laughs) So were there actual controversies in the early awards? I mean, nowadays it's just a given. Every time the awards are given or an announced, the nominees, there's always going to be some statement about so-and-so didn't get nominated or why was this and that. But during that early period, even though it was structured differently, were there automatically, almost from the beginning, issues related to who got nominated and who won versus others?
1: Yes. There has never been a year when there weren't those voices saying, how could they get it so wrong? Uh, So that became part of the game, I suppose, Um, and it still very much is. Um, But in one of the early years, in 1930, there were enough people nominated and actually uh, presented with awards that seemed to be kind of insiders uh that there was mumbling about that that you had to know somebody to be sure of of getting a nomination or an award and they um they made some changes as a result of that that uh that that left the uh the grumbling uh to the to the south and uh so yeah they i mean they were always worried worried about it but i i think it's generally accepted that uh, unlike some elections we could talk about, everyone accepts that this one is accurate. We may not give the award to the right person on stage, but but at least we know who it's supposed to be.
0: Right. Yeah, sometimes it's a matter of, and this is one of the issues the Academy has had over the years, is the people who are actually doing the voting and and how well or how well they represent the industry and that's usually where it is it's not what they vote for or what their votes were it's do they represent the organi- the, the industry well and and that's something that i can imagine would consistently be something to come forward based on as we've said not everybody's in the academy so not everybody votes for the academy awards and and therefore right. that can always make a difference as 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 to who but any awards system you have um, for forever and we know now there's so many awards and you mentioned this in the epilogue about how the amount of awards out there you know you have to figure out okay which ones are good awards and which ones are just whatever right. and and while these days an award awards like golden globes are for whatever reason are given higher uh a, a status we know in any knowledge of the golden globes as an example they've had their problems too when you can't really go back to earlier years and look at a golden globe award and say that was representative of anything so not to go in, off on a into a different tangent but at least, uh, but this is what happens with with any kind of uh, system whereby you give awards. Yep. So at the beginning there, then the people who were um, in charge, so to speak, or at, in the academy making decision-making, um, did that start to shift to different groups early on? We know, like I said before, we get into the, 30s and, and forward and we get into more and more um actors and and creatives if we can use that word versus um executives creative folks being involved and you you mean, talk in, all, in, term, in terms of membership and running and, you know,
1: that awards voting yeah, not yeah, the, just membership- the awards now no,
0: the academy itself
1: right well um the, the actors were the largest branch from the very beginning um, and if you think about any any uh, any set where a movie's being made there are more actors running around usually only one director one cinematographer and so on so there are there are more actors needed in the uh, in the industry and uh, their numbers have always reflected that that presence Um but I think it's it, uh, proportionately kind of the same thing. I, I, I don't actually know uh, where the producer's branch stands in numbers off the top of my head, but it is, it is not the largest branch by, by any means. Uh, and that became a very sensi- uh, sensitive point in the 30s when, um, when the new uh, guilds, the talent guilds, were coming into being and were very, very wary of the fact that uh, the producers had such a presence at all in the Academy. So it, it wasn't an easy decision for the organization how to handle that.
0: Right. So, of course, an organization that's now over 75 years old, you think of it sort of as this, um, that it's always been there, so to speak. But what happened that the Academy almost... F- that it started to go through its growing pains and almost uh completely fell
1: apart yeah there were and and that happened twice it was it was really near near death uh and was being complained uh was being uh described as as already dead in in the trade papers sometimes um the the main problem had to do with the formation of the guilds which i mentioned Um, and, and almost all of them, uh, became quite hostile to the Academy. They thought that the Academy was not good for individual artists, uh, because the producers had a prominent place in in the governing body and in the decision, in the decisions that were being made. Uh, and when we talk about, when we talk about producers, that's a little confusing uh, because the the word means two different things. Uh, but when they talked about the producers in the thirties, they were talking about the studio heads, not people. Some of them were actually producing movies in the sense of the way we describe producers today. Uh, but, but they use the word producer almost interchangeably for the job of getting together individual pictures and getting them made and running the studio and deciding things like, which pictures were going to be made. Um, but in any case, the, the, uh, the academy kind of fell afoul of the forming guilds and people began seceding from the academy and joining the uh, burgeoning writers branch or actors branch or whatever. And the, the, um, the membership got uh, very small there for a while. And uh, there was a point at the end of 1933 where they fired the entire staff except one person and uh uh kind of walked away from the organization and it wasn't clear that it was going to come back into existence but it did um so mostly it was it was guild hostility but also and this is the the major surprise that i had in writing this book (laughs) the other problem had to do with money uh, we think of the Academy as being well-funded. And in my lifetime, it always has been. Uh, I don't mean that's due to me, but <laughs> no, when I but came You, you, it you about, come right out
0: and say, to a large extent, what helps to, helps the more recent years as far as funding is concerned, and it's television.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and they resisted going into television. They did not want the awards to go on. <laughs> Nobody in Hollywood, except television people, thought that was a good idea because the studios saw that as giving away to people, giving for free uh, access to these wonderful creatures, actors and actresses that they had committed to uh, turning into some of the most famous and beloved people in the world. And suddenly you're going to just put them in a box in people's living room where they can see our property. They didn't like that. So there was there was great resistance and um it it was only because uh the academy was down to its they they were leading a very hand-to-mouth existence as they had done the whole time they were it was a very underfunded it was not funded at all it had no source of income except dues and you could imagine the dues during the depression weren't very lavish and um they they just were always having to go back to Uh, the producer's organization uh, and say, gee, give us enough money just to stage one more award show. Uh, And I say show, I shouldn't. It was one one ceremony. It wasn't a show yet. There wasn't really that much to do. Uh, It shouldn't cost that much, but it also didn't produce any money to help the the Academy do other things it might have liked to do um so yeah those were those were two big issues that almost brought it down and it was as you say the final acceptance of the concept of moving the um moving the ceremonies into a televised show that began giving them a, a, a reliable income that uh, actually by the time i was executive director was we don't like to brag but it was lavish we, right. we uh,
0: of course, during this period, even before, you know, pre-television, they began to allow radio, and then they also were in the newsreels. So they did do the publicity part to try to to bring the organization and its awards into a more positive, not positive, but into light period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was Frank Capra's importance during uh, this, this earlier period? Uh, this was right around the time that the organization is um, – foundering uh, as we've been talking about but frank capra becomes an important person as far as the academy is
1: concerned i think as i say in the book at one point i think if you had to rank the importance of the academy presidents over the years that capra would have to be given the first um position because he 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 really he he really kind of damped down that kind of hostility between the various guilds and the academy which was just unbelievably um vicious in some respects and and the academy wasn't wasn't fighting back the academy wasn't denigrating the guilds in any way but the guilds were denigrating the uh, the academy uh and uh uh capra Capra had kind of stayed out he was he was probably the most distinguished director in terms of academy love uh in the industry at the time this is happening in the in the 30s. Um, so he had enormous respect but he hadn't really joined the director's guild. He had stayed apart from that and finally he hit a point where he thought um i, I should get involved in this So he joined the guild. And he then was made head of the committee negotiating with the producers group, and they started blowing him off. Uh, He wasn't he he'd he'd get a meeting set up. And there was a famous one where uh, he went over for the meeting. And the producer he was supposed to be meeting was out at the uh, out at the Santa Anita racetrack. And so that got him boiling. And he came back at that point. though I I skipped an important beat he he had he had become elected president of the Directors Guild at the same time he was president of the Academy so those two organizations which everybody saw as mortal enemies were suddenly run being run by the same guy and that did change things and um so he he threatened to Kind of cancel the academy awards which are just a couple of weeks away at that point scared everybody to death because he didn't tell people at the academy he was going to do this and um the producers didn't know whether he was bluffing or not but they finally rolled under agreed to recognize the directors guild as the negotiating body for the directors in the industry and things calmed down a bit um so he did he did at that point Kind of saved the academy, although he did it by throwing it under the bus, um, and he, uh, he, he 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 kind of formed the basis of a of a more adult relationship between the guilds and the and the producers.
0: So he basically settled things down, so to speak, at that point. He
1: did. He, he absolutely did. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And of course, this is one of those things where reading the book and 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 knowing a little bit about the history of this period in 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 the academy and also other aspects, where we see other famous people who were actors, in particular, who tended to be involved in the academy and and you have a chapter about betty davis and some of these folks some of this information you're bringing out in more detail as to how they affected or how they were viewed by uh people and the fact that somebody like betty davis who as a female let's let's be honest during the period uh the fact that she had some uh major importance uh is interesting
1: it it is And I should clarify that there's no relation between myself and uh, Betty Davis. But uh, the fact is, the story had always been and it was very much um, in view at the time she died. Uh, Everybody talked about, yes, she was president of the Academy, but it was a stormy event. And the, 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 the establishment of the Academy didn't get along with her at all. And it was all very antagonistic. And then I started reading about the period and learned lots of interesting things. Um, and and one of them was that her election was extremely unusual. Normally, the president uh, is chosen for each term from among the governors of the academy. But that wasn't necessarily the way they did it. They had the right in the bylaws to reach out to any member of the academy and install him or her as president, and that's what they did with Betty Davis, and she was arguably the hottest star in the business at, at that point in his career, her career. She was getting nominations every year. She kept winning Oscars, and and it was a it was a pretty flashy move for the Academy to make, um, but it didn't last very long. Um, she was only president for I think like fifty days. And maybe that sounds like somebody who left in a huff. But during those 50 days, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And uh, I had never understood the relationship between that event and the Academy. Um, But obviously, things changed enormously uh, suddenly. And and instead of making plans for the next awards, you were wondering, are we ever going to have awards again? um people on the west coast in particular were very very wary about uh further attacks on um, on u.s shores and um so that uh kind of explained her going off to other projects like running the hollywood canteen and helping servicemen um but it, as it turned out I, I, I i'd see the discussions in the board minutes and there was never this great opposition between the old guard and, and Betty Davis. She came in um, suggesting very strongly that um, extras who had been voting for the last couple of years because of a compromise with the, a, a, you know, a guild solution, there were, there were hundreds and hundreds suddenly of voters who most actors didn't really consider actors and she suggested that they be taken off of the voting rolls nobody disagreed with that everybody knew it was awkward to have these uh (laughs) untutored um artists um in the voting electorate Uh, thought that was a good idea uh and there were a number of other things but but they were they were in sync they weren't they weren't fighting uh and they never did after she left um so it's hard it's partly it's partly that she wrote a book, twenty more than that, more than twenty years later, um, where she suggested that she had been kind of oppressed, and it was a very grumpy book. And I think she was leading a kind of a grumpy life in general at that point. And uh, so that I think is where people got the idea that uh, her her tenure had been uh, had been very antagonistic. But it it the evidence shows that it wasn't. So
0: So your book is meant to really only cover the first 30 years or so, although you do obviously include more recent information. Was there a specific decision on that part in yours or was it just a matter you knew it was impossible to try to go any farther given the the wealth of information you had access to? Or what made you decide that that was the time period that you wanted to cover?
1: Well, you're right. That was a that was a uh, perplexing uh, decision the whole way through the process. Okay, we're, I see how we start, that's easy. Where do we stop? And um, I, at first I thought, yeah, the coming of TV is clearly the great event in the Academy's life, and we'll have to do it around that. And, and But then, uh, as you suggested, there were some of the threads we were following, like the relationship between the Academy and the MBAA that were ongoing after that. And I thought, let's let's tie that up. And there were a couple of other things. Um, the after effect of the McCarthy era, uh, which had a, a kind of recrudescence um, with the uh, Ilya Kazan Award. And um, I thought, all right, well, let's just grab that and, and the, uh, <laughs> end that story from the 50s. Um, So, yeah, here and there, uh, as you suggest, I allowed a a story to complete itself without stopping right in the 50s when the the television comes in as savior.
0: Right. There's no question I agree with you. the, the, The advent of television is such an obvious... Change in Hollywood and and the industry because eventually by this point it of course also ties in with the end of the studio system and the eventual end of the studio system and, and a lot of changes that would occur going into the '60s and forward. So it is definitely a logical place. Um, one of the things I'm glad that to we, hear
1: somebody agrees.
0: <laughs> no, I mean it makes a lot of sense because yep. things would change because um, as you say, not only did it suddenly change. That the new system allowing television to to show the the Academy the, the award ceremonies and such even though it was we were seeing them but they were much more became more normal starting in the 50s um, what were some of the to, to sort of get towards the end on something a little lighter what kind of in your research what kind of uh, false stories. What kind of legends did you were you able to once and for all um, put an, put a stop to, or to get to get the real story once and for all?
1: Uh, <laughs> well, the I, I guess the most obvious one is the the uh, the controversy about how the award came to be called the Oscar, and the whole time I was working there every year. Uh, as the as award season rolled around, there would be articles somewhere about how Oscar got his name. And there were three different versions. And sometimes people would just opt for one. Other times they would try to out, <laughs> lay out all three. And um, I thought there has to be a way to get to the bottom of this. And I started poking around and I got myself to a point where um, I I could pretty flatly disprove all three of the stories that had uh existed um they there were things about them you could you knew when they said they had come up with the name and you knew it was in such and such a uh uh, variety article two years earlier than that and so you knew that they had um and that that was again betty davis she was one of the claimants and she finally gave that up in a huff and said okay i didn't really do it but she had the best story so she should get some points for that uh, and uh and then there was um uh there was a um a kind of gossip columnist Sidney uh, sydney skolsky who had an elaborate story about how he had he had come up with it in desperation one oscar night when he was writing his copy and he he got tired of calling it the Academy Award of Merit, and he couldn't remember the word statuette or how to spell it. And he finally just started calling it Oscar. And um, that's that's not true. That In fact, the, the date he gives in, uh, in his book about when he when he um, dubbed the award, the Oscar uh, is three years after it began to appear in in print. So we we let him go, and uh, the other claimant is um, Margaret Herrick, the lady whose name is on the Great Academy Library, and she would she had a couple of different versions of her story, which is unfortunate because they don't always jive. and uh, she too has a problem. And uh, as much as I would have loved to uh, award that that honor to my predecessor. Um, she 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 was telling a little tale there, uh, and so I thought we're never going to solve this. Uh, and then I by a series of flukes, I found out that there was a an obscure museum up in the hills in the resort country near uh, L.A. Um, that had the name of a fellow who had been associated with a uh, one one version of the story that didn't involve the big three claimants. And I found that museum, and I found archival papers from him. He had started writing a book, and I found out who named the Oscar. And I'm not going to tell you, but uh, but uh, I I think I've got the right person who really who really deserves the credit and has has never had it. So that was fun. Uh, there were also a couple of sort of irritating rumors about people who had served as the model for the statuette. And first of all, if you know much about art, you know it's not the kind of work that requires a human figure to be standing there while you carve this very stylized and um, streamlined version of a of a human body. Um, and and the the claimants to have uh, there was a there was a sword fighter a uh, a Czech sword instructor, fencing instructor who spent some time in Hollywood and was uh, was said to have been pressed into duty as the model for the statuette, But nothing panned out on that. And uh, the 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 most widely spread story uh, has to do with a a Hispanic actor director uh, who also uh, he was famous for being a story maker a storyteller, uh, a fantasist. And I think this was another of his fantasies. So um, we we cleared that up somewhat. There was no model for the Oscar.
0: Well, as I say, there is uh, there is so much in the book that it was great to show how you were able to use the archives and other material to put together the story. And, and unlike, obviously there have been stories and books about the Academy Awards and the Academy in the past, but you were able to do it with material that uh, wasn't necessarily used in those situations. And I think that's where uh, the positive, the, the most positive aspect of your book is that you were able to access and use sources and, um, that helped to tell that story. Uh, now I, I know at the end of the in, of the introduction, you sort of said, "Well, somebody else can do the next part, or maybe I'll do the <laughs> next part." But I mean, given like we said before, you've been out of the um, academy now for over ten years since you've retired, but you're still out that direction. What is your feeling of how the academy is doing right now?
1: Well, this is a tough time. Um, I, I the uh, the person in my position it doesn't have the same name anymore uh bill kramer uh and i talked about it a little bit after he was appointed and i i sympathized with him I, I i told him i would i would much rather have started the job when i did than when you did because um uh, again it looks like the academy is is going back into a period when um funding things is going to be a problem the the 40 45 million uh, audience of domestic viewership that we used to count on just as a regular thing is not likely to to come back and uh, even more fundamentally uh, the academy is devoted to the theatrical motion picture and um, how long are we going to have theatrical motion pictures I think I think we've got a good year going this year I think we could we could put up. Uh, we're we're going to be in a position to put up a uh, a series of best picture nominees that uh, many people have seen, uh, and the more people that have seen the nominated films, the more likely they are to care about which one of them is um, is voted best picture for that year. And we've had a couple of years when the when the nominees were such um, uh, small films that didn't even play in in mid-sized country, mid-sized towns around the country. Um, Why would you watch a ceremony um, about movies you never heard of? So we want a lot of movies that people have heard of this year, and we want that to be an ongoing trend, and the Academy will pull itself out of this uh, doldrum that it's in right now. But um, it's, it's, it's an edgy period for the organization. Well,
0: it was, there's every kinds of organizations are still dealing with. Unfortunately for the Academy, the the pandemic didn't make it any easier. Uh, And there were already, you know, when you talk about streaming and everything else, but the pandemic definitely put a uh, damper on things and... The good thing, as you're pointing out, is that you can actually look at the marquees or, or see what's playing at the local theaters, and you're actually <laughs> seeing multiple films at the same time, rather than for a period there where, with only to fill out the the theater, they ended up having to do revivals of older films and things like that. And now things, little by little, seem to be coming back around, and that's the I, case in a lot of same. industries. Yeah. So, well. As I say, the book is 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 great because of the the detail you put in and the and the information you were able to provide. I I think it helps that you uh, did have personal experience in the actual organization, even though it was prior to the periods that we're talking about. Oh. Uh, after the periods we're talking about, excuse me, but I think understanding the organization as you did uh probably made a long made this process much more enlightening to the to the reader um so all i can say all i can say is i really appreciate the book that you wrote and i hope uh it continues to do well and the people who are looking at it will get a better sense the fact that it was published through a university press i think is even better because Cinema, you know, movie historians are going to really look at this and say, um, here's a story that we really never knew the ins and outs of. And it just adds to the overall uh, story of Hollywood that we
1: now have due to
0: some of this kind of work.
1: I appreciate your saying that. That's, uh, that's something that had occurred to me. I'm not sure. I wasn't sure it would occur to anybody else. It's, uh, well, you,
0: you, 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 it was the perfect example of a historical study because you use primary sources and material that hadn't been looked at before to try to tell your story and your analysis. Oh. So uh, it's, it's an exact a perfect example of how good historians do their work. So uh, I think uh, people should appreciate that. Okay. So thank you for your time. And and as I said before, I hope things continue to go well for you. I hope that you found this conversation interesting and agree with me that Bruce's book fills a valuable historical niche about the Motion Picture Academy. This is Joel Cherney, and I will be back soon with more New Books and Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network.